Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture in fly fishing. Today's topic is a great one, no matter if you are decades and decades into your fly fishing adventure or you're just getting started. But before I get to that, I have to mention something. Last week's audio quality was abysmal. It was terrible. However, it was one of, if not the, best listened to episodes of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast uh, in the years that I've been doing this. But I'm not going to continue to record on purpose with poor audio quality uh, just because a lot of people listened to last week's episode. So I appreciate everyone who listened, and I apologize for the bad audio quality. I think things are straightened out, at least for this week. But on with the show. So this week, like I said, this is for anybody whether you've just started fly fishing or you've been doing it for decades. And I would also say this is for anybody who ties flies, whether they haven't started yet or they've been doing it for a long time. And here's the reason why. If you haven't gotten started, you need this information. Well, you don't need the information from me, but you need this kind of information. And if you've been fly tying for a long, long time, unless you are actively involved in instruction, you might have forgotten what it's like to be a beginner. And so this could be helpful information for you, especially uh, as we're getting into the winter months. This is being recorded in the middle of December, um, and it's also being recorded before holiday time, which is a great time to get somebody something that they might need to begin tying flies or take their fly tying to the next level. And so I've recorded a couple of podcasts on things that I wish I knew before I started tying flies. But this is going to go even further back. And what I would basically call how to start tying flies. What are some of the very first things that you should do? Or some of the very first things that you should set people on a path to do if they're going to tie flies. First and foremost, why tie flies? You can go to a fly shop and buy beautiful, well-tied, fish catching flies for between a buck 50. And I mean, to be honest with you, if you're you know fishing for musky, you know, $25 a fly, but more often than not, we're talking about, you know, two to $4 for a fly. Well, for the reason, first and foremost, is it's fun. If anyone says it's economical to tie flies, they're dead wrong with the exception of a few patterns like egg patterns and woolly worms and things like that. You can certainly uh, do well financially by tying those flies as opposed to buying them. But the financial benefits are not the first and foremost reason why you tie flies. 
you tie flies because it is one more way to be intricately involved in something that you really enjoy. Now, some people don't like tying flies, and I'll have to say that there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's been times in my life where I've said, I don't feel like getting everything out. I don't feel like learning how to to, to perform this technique I, I either don't know or don't know well. And honestly, I would just rather head to the fly shop and spend 20 bucks and get what I need to to go out for, you know, these couple of trips for this season. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no expectation that like uh, uh, tying flies is what you need to get to the next level or that you are not a legitimate fly fisher if you uh, don't tie flies. So let's get that out of, of the way first and foremost. But uh, if you do want to try, I think it is a virtuous and good and fun thing. And it takes you down a, a neat little rabbit hole that allows you to see kind of the inner workings of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So that's the, I would say the very first thing is understand what you're getting into. Um, it is it is probably a break-even prospect because of all the stuff you're going to buy all the time. You're going to uh, a lot to it where you're you're not going to save money because you think, oh my goodness, you know, two fifty a fly. Uh, you know, some parts of the country, you know, three fifty a fly for for a little tiny dry fly or a little nymph. Uh, it's going to be so much cheaper to to tie these things. Well, there, again, like I said, that might be the case for some patterns, but uh, you, there's always one more thing to buy. Uh, there's always one more thing to purchase, and every new pattern probably needs uh, a new component that's not going to necessarily be the cheapest thing in the world, especially when you get into big, fancy feathers and capes and things like that. So that's the that's the first thing, is, is understand that this is going to take money, but secondly, understand that this is going to take time and patience. There are some people that are naturally gifted, whether it because be because they have fine motor skills that are just really, really good, or because they're very artistic, or because they uh, have a really good attention to detail. All of those reasons are going to give somebody a leg up when it comes to uh, tying flies, but that doesn't mean they're not going to have to take time to hone their craft and do better. So that is why my encouragement is to take a multi-tiered approach to starting tying flies. And here's what I mean by that. There's three primary methods that you will learn, uh, will you, that you will use to learn as you tie flies. And I think every one of them is necessary and every one of them is important. And um, they're, they're this, uh, and going from most accessible to, to least accessible, right? Uh, most accessible is YouTube. YouTube is a great, great uh, teaching tool when it comes to tying flies. Uh, there are some channels that are better than others. Um, I would have to say that Tightline Productions with Tim Flagler and uh, Trout and Feather with Tim Camisa, who I'll, I'll mention later at the end of the podcast, um, are, are two of, of my favorite. Now, there's other ones that are phenomenal, and there's ones that have a little bit more production value, some that are uh, very low production value, but they're still very good. And so I would just say browse around, find what you like, but pay attention to the ones that don't just show you how to do it, but explain what's happening. And I'll get to why this is this is the limiting factor in YouTube here in a second. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is books. Get a good fly tying book. Now, this will do a couple things for you. Uh, a, a YouTube video will show you how the, the process happens. But what I have found with, the, with, with a few exceptions is that the articulation of some of the techniques and some of what you look for in the materials 
is is not as high caliber on YouTube videos as it is in books that publishers have gone through and said, this isn't clear. Let's make this clear. This isn't sufficient. Let's flesh it out. Uh, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Let's just make it nice, concise, pithy, and tight. So that is one of the benefits of a book. Secondly, um, whereas a YouTube video might show a process, well, it will show a process from start to finish, uh, books and the photography included in good fly tying books are going to show those intermediary steps, how you're holding something, whether it be the tool or whether it be the material, and it's going to lay that out in stark contrast. Again, are there bad fly tying books? Of course there are. But uh, most of them, by the big fly fishing publishers, the big outdoor publishers, are high quality. And they're going to show you things that are, are integral to, for you to focus on, whereas you might be kind of overwhelmed by or just taken by the big picture that you see in a, uh, a video. So videos are great. And, and stopping a video and pausing a video to see what's exactly going on works. But it's also helpful to have that that fly tying book that shows you those integral steps in in order, and uh, that's what a good fly tying book does. And I've got some recommendations, actually one good recommendation at the end uh, of this podcast. But I have, in case you don't know, if you go to the the, the website castingacross.com, there's a fly tying books section or within uh, um, the fly fishing books, and there's dozens and dozens of books, and there's a, a handful of good fly tying books that are on there. So uh, the, the first step, I would say, is watch videos on YouTube. Say, is this something I'm interested in? Secondly, get a book. And, you know, you, you're in for 15 bucks at this point. Not a big deal. And then I would say the very next thing, whether you are just starting or you've kind of been messing around a little bit, but I would actually say this is good if you've never even touched a, a, a vice and, a, and a, a bobbin before, is to get hands-on instruction. Now, this might be something that you get for free with your local Trout Unlimited chapter um, or some sort of event that that happens at a, a fly shop or something like that in your, your town, or it might be a paid event at a fly shop or at something like the fly fishing show um, where there are going to be uh, evenings or Saturday mornings or classes uh, that are slated for beginners, people who have never done this before. Uh, I know that most of the Orvis stores uh, were doing this before COVID. I think they're probably back to doing it uh, now. Um, and that's a great one because, I mean, everything's right there. It's very standardized. Um, and, you know, assuming the instructor is 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 good, uh, it's an excellent way to not just be exposed to what tying flies entails, but you also get to go hands-on with someone. So as good as watching a video is, as good as seeing a still image is, the best thing is being in person with somebody, watching them do it, and then having you do it in front of them and them showing you, yeah, I understand that it looks like what you're doing is right, but it's actually very, very wrong, and let me help you fix it. That is invaluable. The same thing is true, of course, with like something like fly casting, um, where you know you you can get the benefits from watching the video. You can you know look at a book. You can go flail around on your own. But having somebody go hands on with you is the best way to learn. So how to get started in fly tying? The the very first thing is understand what you're getting yourself into. Understand that this is not going to save you a bunch of money, and you're not going to crank out box after box after box of flies uh, within your first few weeks of picking up uh, um, some some hackle and uh, and uh, some hackle pliers. Uh, secondly, uh, get the right resources, and I would say take that three tiered approach: YouTube and then uh, a book, and then go take a class. So those are the first two things.
Well, as of the time of this recording, we are 10 days away from Christmas. But whether you are getting your last minute shopping in or you are in the middle of January staring in the mirror wondering where the holidays went, it is not too late to think about hygiene. And you can actually do something very, very good for yourself and those who exist in close proximity with you by going to manscaped.com and using the code CASTING, C-A-S-T-I-N-G, for free shipping and 20% off. Today's product that I want to highlight is something that it shouldn't be embarrassing. Everyone grows hair. And sometimes that hair migrates from the top of our head to other places. And for some reason, it might be those nooks and crannies, uh, it likes to settle in and amongst the ear and nose region. Now, in some cultures, this might be a sign of intelligence or age or something like that. But in most of Western civilization, I don't think that's the case. And there's something that you can do about that. Um, you could wax, but I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, you can take tweezers to it, but that just sounds painful and no fun, and you wouldn't want to get caught doing that by somebody else. But what you can do, and what I, I say you should do, I mean, once you get to be 50, 40, goodness, 35, I've seen some people, right? Get the Weed Whacker from Manscaped, the Weed Whacker. Um, it is a $40 nose hair trimmer ear hair trimmer. And it is revolutionary. That's the way to describe it. And and I mean, I don't know many other nose and ear hair trimmers, but so I'll take their word for it. It's revolutionary in that you're not going to get anything snagged. I can't imagine a worse situation than having something snagged in your nose here. It's not going to snag because it's running at 9,000 RPMs. Um, and there is a battery that is not going to go dead on you. It's a powerful 600 uh, lithium ion battery. It's waterproof, so you can have all sorts of fun with it in that way. And it is going to keep you looking good and clean. You have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you uh, if you go out and people don't say, wow, you have really clean, shiny ears, and you said, this is what I was expecting, is people to compliment me, you could send it back. But I think that uh, you'll be happy with it either way. So my suggestion to you, again, is go to Manscaped dot com use the code casting c-a-s-t-i-n-g check out the weed whacker the electric nose and ear hair trimmer so that's manscape.com use the code casting c-a-s-t-i-n-g to get free shipping and 20 percent off your whole order okay uh third thing for how to get started in fly tying you've got uh, understanding what you're getting into secondly you're going to go get the instruction and the information that you need Thirdly, tie the right patterns. One of the most frustrating things for me when I started fly tying the first time and when I started tie fly tying the second time was that I went out and I got the fly tying kit. It was probably from like the Sports Authority or Dick Sporting Goods or something like that. And it was a relatively inexpensive like $35 or $45 kit. And it came with everything you need to get started. And I am I'm not downplaying the value of these kits. I think they're a great way for people to get exposed to it. Um, the, the, the tools aren't going to be the kind of precision and the kind of construction that you really want if you get into it. And the vice isn't going to provide the kind of stability that you, you need if you're going to be tying flies for, you know, a long time, but they, they'll work. But my biggest gripe with them is the patterns that often get included. And it isn't necessarily the patterns themselves. It's the sizes of the patterns that you're getting. They're almost like um, exaggerated examples of patterns. So we're talking like tying a hair as your nip. Great. Awesome. It's an excellent pattern to learn how to tie. Some of the techniques that you will learn when you are tying a hair's ear nymph are super important. And doing it on like a size eight nymph, though, 
it's not going to be a fly you're going to turn around and say, man, I'm going to go use this and be excited about using this on my local trout stream. Could you catch a fish on a poorly tied size eight hairs ear nymph? Absolutely. But we're not going out and buying those things. So try to find something that you're going to use. So there are a couple of options here. Uh, the easiest one, uh, bar none, easiest one is to go into a fly shop and say, hey, I want to learn how to tie a woolly bugger. And I've taken a class and I've done it a few times and I know I'm going to fish woolly buggers. And I understand I'm going to waste some materials and tie some bad flies. So uh, can you help me get what I need? And so the person at that fly shop will go and help you find some economical hooks. Now it's going to be 25 hooks and that's going to be your most expensive, uh, you know, part of this, this equation. But again, it's not going to be a ton of money, uh, you know, between five and $10. And then you're going to buy your thread, your chenille, your marabou and some saddle hackle. And so you might be in at, you know, 25 to $30, but it's going to tie way more than 25 flies. So your hooks are going to be the first thing that get exhausted. And of course the hooks are going to cost the, the most amount of money, but now you're going to have exactly what you need to tie the fly that you know you want to tie and the, the fly that you know that you want to fish. And the great thing about a pattern like, again, say like a woolly bugger, is that it does utilize some essential skills. And and I'm not talking about palmering, uh, you know, hackle and making that look perfectly and having the shiny side uh, face forward or backwards or anything like that. I'm talking about having nice, consistent wraps with chenille. I'm talking about building a good head on the front of the fly and whip finishing it or tying it off with with your, your thread choice. Um, I'm talking about measuring tail lengths and tying it in so that it does stick directly out and not cocked up or down or sideways or be too long or be too short. And all of those things you will get. So are you going to have a dozen different patterns? No, but you're going to have one pattern that you're able to practice on and see how this version of the fly looks good and this version of the fly looks bad. Why is that? Uh, my thread tension was a little bit off. I tried to pack too much chenille on there. Uh, I, I used way too big of a hackle when I was making the body of this fly. All of those things you're going to be able to see if you focus on one pattern. That might not be super glamorous, but I think that's a great way to make sure that you're using, you're, you're tying something that you'll be able to use, but also you'll be able to assess your progress and maybe where you have some shortcomings. So you're able to go to a fly shop and, and do that. But there are also different websites, different fly shops. I've seen a few just in uh, Christmas time advertisements that come from some of the fly shops that send me uh, junk emails uh, of they create these little packages of fly tying supplies. And so there you're not even in for 30 bucks or 35 or 40 bucks because you have to buy a full package of every uh, component, but they actually split stuff up and they will make it so that you can tie a dozen flies. So it might be 20 bucks, but you're only in for again, 20 bucks and you have maybe the cut portions. So you're not having to, to guesstimate, uh, how much of a, you know, piece of chenille you need or something like that, but they have cut pieces of things out and all you gotta do is put them on the hook. So those are nice because they are probably a little bit less expensive. You're not going to have as much extra material when you're left over that you can then use for other flies or use for your second batch after you used up all your hooks, but you're going to have a, a taste at one of, one of those flies are and never feel like a simple fly is not worth your time uh, because there are the wrong way to tie a foam beetle. You can tie a foam beetle that floats upside down and it's stupid and you don't want that. And so don't think that it's beneath you to really try to tie a foam beetle well. Don't think that something like a clouser minnow is simple to tie. Is it relatively simple? Yes. 
But again, you can have clouser minnows that don't swim right, that that uh, keel to the right or the left because you didn't put the materials on there the right way, that uh, have the wrong proportions of the top color of of, um, of bucktail or of synthetic versus the bottom color of bucktail or synthetic. You can have a head that just looks ugly. That uh, you know, again, the fish don't care about it that much. But again, you're you're going for precision and you're going for tying things the right way. So never think that something like a woolly bugger or a foam beetle, or a clouser minnow, or even simpler patterns, a, 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 a green weenie, or an egg fly is beneath you. Uh, until you get those techniques down pat, never stop honing your skills on those most simple patterns. So that's my third piece of advice. And again, there's a lot more, but this is how I would say to start fly tying to know what you're getting into, talk to somebody about it, talk to people that have tried it and, and stuck with it, try to talk to people that have tried it and have given up on it, and try to make sure that you know what you're getting into. Secondly, get the right resources. Start with YouTube, then go to a book, then go take a class, and don't feel uh, like you shouldn't be spending money on this. I think it's definitely uh, worth a little bit of an investment. And then thirdly, uh, buy the materials you need. Don't buy random materials. Don't buy, you know, don't don't start trying to tie a deer hair bass bug. Uh, start tying simple materials and get exactly what you need and talk to somebody who knows what they're doing or buy something that's been specifically uh, curated so that you can tie that fly. That is the best way, in my humble opinion, to start off. That gives you what you need. You're not adding a lot of pieces on the exterior. You're only doing the bare essentials. So if you are thinking about tying flies, hopefully this has been helpful. If you are someone who is an advanced fly tire and you have your son, your grandson, your neighbor, somebody in your trial and limited chapter that wants to learn how to, to, to tie flies, uh, remember these things. Um, don't say, okay, well, hey, I'm going to tie up a uh, full dress salmon fly. So just sit down and do what I do. I'm not saying that people do that, but I've seen people do that. So remember what it was like to be a beginner. Remember that not everyone is going to have the same abilities and the same artistic and and uh, motor skill skills. Um, and uh, just kind of go back to that most basic level, that common denominator of getting people in front of what they need to be able to be successful and enjoy fly tying. Because if you if you can tie flies, uh, but you don't you don't enjoy it, then don't do it. Go do something else, you know, do watercolors of uh, sunsets and trout. That That's probably uh, more, more soothing and calming and probably cheaper in the long run. This week on castingacross.com. Great week on the website. Uh, the first article that came out was called Cold Weather Fishing Comfort Beyond Layering. So it's very easy to layer. If you're cold, add another layer. If you're still cold, add one more layer. Uh, if those layers don't work, buy new layers, layer up, right? Uh, but that doesn't work on your feet because at some point, all that layering is going to make foot fitting your foot in your waiter impossible, right? Uh, that's not going to work on your hands because at some point you're not going to be able to tie a fly or even hold a fly rod well. Uh, so there's some parts of our body, our extremities that require better gear, not more gear, but better gear. And so that's our feet, our hands, our head, and our face. So in this article, I talk about how to think about that. First and foremost, that's the most important thing. And then I give four examples of gear that I use that I have found to work very well. Is it perfect? 
No, it, you're still going to get cold if it's really cold or really wet or something like that. But these are four things that I have found is just a better way to keep your extremities warm. So that is on uh, castingacross.com. The second article that came out this week was called Scents of Water. Scents of Water. And this is a retooled version of an old, old article I wrote called uh, The Scent of a River. And uh, I do this from time to time where I go back to an article and I kind of just look at it with fresh eyes and I do some editing and I use, I'm generally speaking, tightening it up and making it uh, a quicker read, not because uh, long form is bad, but uh, just I'm, that's kind of how I'm writing these days when it comes to casting across. So this got a really good reception, probably the best reception of any article that I've, I've retooled uh, to this point. So check that out, Sense of Water and uh, and how... Uh, you can be surprised with with how you experience your time on a river. This week's recommendation on the podcast is a book I've recommended before, a book I've reviewed before, but uh, in light of the episode's uh, purpose, I want to recommend Fly Tying for Everyone by Tim Camisa. Fly Tying for Everyone by Tim Camisa. This is a book that is not only practical, but it is pretty. It is a book that you will be able to utilize if you have not started fly tying and you you want an introductory book. Uh, and it's a book that you'll be able to use if you are an intermediate fly tire. And it's a great gift if you are an advanced flyer tire for somebody who is is just getting into it. But this is a book that, like I said, it gives you that quick pithy explanations of what you're doing and the right photographs for how you should be tying. And then it gives, of course, good uh, recipe lists for the flies that, that you'll be tying in the book. Tim is an excellent communicator. Um, I think every one of the flies in the book, he has a video corresponding to it, if not uh, most of them. And so you're able to get it from, from two different angles. And here's the awesome thing is that you really could get the, the total package. You could uh, watch him on Trout and Feather on, on YouTube or his website. You could read the book um, and, uh, and have it in front of you. And then you can go to one of his many stops on the fly fishing show or his own personal uh, visits to fly shops and Trout and Limited chapters across uh, the Mid-Atlantic and up into New England. England, um, and, and really across the country. And you can, you can have him teach you his fly tying himself. So that's a, a, a great way to kind of have some, uh, continuity as you are learning in the different ways that I encourage you to learn before, but I'll put a link to fly tying for everyone on this podcast's show notes on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.